passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Well, hello. It's me, John Pollock, along with Waiting. Hello, Way. Uh, th- that was a bit of a new one. Well, hello in that tone. My attention was taken. Can I just discuss the virtues of having a second monitor? It is mm. a life-changing event that has just changed the way I do these shows. In what way? I'm curious. Because I have my streaming laptop that everyone gets to see this this wonderful image of myself then i have the laptop that i read my notes from and now i have this this monitor that i can be scrolling other things for i don't have to be having 10 million tabs up during these shows i wish Mm -hmm. i wish people could see my process of uh preparing for the show and having everything in front of me it's um it would be the most boring documentary of all time but it would be riveting for you and neil flanagan oh i'm fascinated i I think you should film it actually put it on your social media or something well we will we will see maybe i will get a film credit you know what's great about um you having a second screen anytime i go to like a split screen and you're looking at your monitor it looks like you're reading on the screen that I have on. <laughs> I was not aware of yeah. that. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of well, neat. You'll see it in action later. Well, that's this is all the thinking um, yeah. that 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 went into the, this whole setup. But mm. gotta say, I I I think I have mastered the, this setup. Well, you need a, a third screen, maybe a fourth screen. Is that you in know? Your future? You know what? It's. I, I'm not that far away from the, you know, I can understand how some of these, you know, these people that like direct the Super Bowl and they've got to be responsible for 180 cameras. Like I can understand how that's the, it's a, you getting a, a, a sense of control. You've got everything in front of you. Mm-hmm. How are you tonight? Way doing all right. Yeah. Not so bad. You know, just, uh, just another Wednesday, a lot of wrestling to talk about, a lot of news to talk about. How's the countdown to daycare going? Oh, um, I think it's going all right. We're slowly shifting Oscar's sleep schedule um, by like an hour ahead. He typically sleeps pretty late for a baby, like nine. And oh, so, that is late. Yeah. And so, you know, just to kind of fit in with the with the daycare napping schedule and everything, we're shifting everything like an hour ahead. And it's been working out really well so far. Um, he's, uh, he's a lot more talkative th- these days. You know, he's at that age. So um, he could host this show soon enough. 
Has he shared his thoughts on going to daycare? Does he comprehend that he is going off to a strange place? No, I don't think so at all. Um, but he also seems like the type that will adapt really well. But, you know, I'm, I might be jinxing myself. It'll probably be harder on me and, and his mom than than. Are you both going to go the first day? So we're supposed to do like a transitional schedule, you know, so like um, you're supposed to put him in maybe for an hour the first day, second day, maybe like, you know, a little bit longer and then all the way till the end of the week. Then um, on the fifth day, you're supposed to put him in for a full day. So um, we'll we'll be around. You know, we're probably going to be like peeking into the windows, you know, and just kind of sneaking in that way. Oh, it's a it's a, it's going to be a big adjustment. I'm sure it'll be um, impactful on you. How was it for you? Well, we Both didn't have times. daycare, but I mean, the, the first day of school like that we had to do, I was like, mm. like Max is just like, oh, my God, what, what are you doing to me? And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> if you ask me to do homeschooling, I might just acquiesce right at this moment. It was like, oh, my gosh, am I? uh I, I have to, to leave him here. And then it was funny because the next year he started senior kindergarten that day later just leaves. Doesn't even yeah. like nothing, no hug, nothing. Just yeah. I'm off. I see my friends. Bye bye. Cause I mean, cause you, you had your kids around the pandemic and so Max wouldn't even have had a chance to do anything um, throughout that entire period until it was time to go to kindergarten. He was in junior? he was in junior kindergarten like the year of like he started in 2020. So he was um that was just a disaster of, oh, a, wow. of a year. Like they missed so much school during that period. They they're on, they're off. It was like there was a period between the Christmas holidays. He was home for 6 weeks. Hmm. So anyway, let's not yeah. talk about the pandemic. We have uh well other things to talk about a lot of news so we're going to dive in head first john cena he was on howard stern today we're going to play a clip of john cena being asked by howard about the allegations against vince mcmahon and how john cena has been processing uh, what has come out from the recent lawsuit launched by janelle grant so here is my john construct cena. of trying to operate with honesty and communication um I think those are strong leads to handling any problem or, yeah. or any achievement. But uh, uh, the whole thing is super, super unfortunate. Yeah. That's, that's really the thing that sucks because not only does it deal with an individual I love, it deals with an entity that I love. Yeah. And uh, it's one that I speak highly of. And mm-hmm. you want to you make sure everyone, I want everyone to have the experience I had. I want, if you're an employee at Disneyland, you want everybody to go to Disney and think it's the greatest place on earth. And when someone doesn't, or when you find out that there may or may not have been things going on there that, you know, this place I was speaking so great about, well, in some aspects needed a lot of work. That's more than just how do I feel about this person? You know, now I shift to, okay, am I doing all I can to, to make it better? You know, yeah. I, from the advice of like work as hard as you can, promote as hard as you can. Is is there anything I can do? So not only do I tell my friend I love them, I also switch to the entity and say, how can I help? That was John Cena earlier today on Howard Stern. It was about an hour long interview and they spent about five minutes talking about what is going on with uh, Vince McMahon. And th- this has been um the comments that John Cena made, obviously the stuff about Vince McMahon has gotten the most focus. And I think you, you have seen criticism levied towards uh, John Cena. We're going to juxtapose it as well with Randy Orton, who's been doing some of his own media today, but listening to that clip, 
Um, number one, were you surprised that this came up for John Cena? I mean, he has been doing uh, appearances recently for his his movie release, but um, just some of your reaction to uh, John Cena uh, addressing Vince McMahon and how you feel he came across. Not really surprised that it's come up. I think any you know professional re- wrestler of note appearing on a on any sort of platform these days is going to um, face the possibility of having to share their thoughts on this topic. It 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 tells you. I mean, I mean he wasn't asked on like he did Colbert. I know it wasn't brought up. Um, I hmm. mean, it is Pat McAfee, but you know you had Dwayne Johnson on with, with Pat McAfee. I mean, it was like the elephant in the room, but right. it's not going to be brought up. I, I suppose maybe there's, you know, uh, especially for like a long form interview on Howard Stern, there might be an expectation for Howard to get into topics that typically people might be afraid to ask or maybe don't don't really have the taste to ask um, on for other shows and other platforms. Um, so at least like just the combination of Cena and Howard Stern, it didn't really surprise me to hear. Um, I saw the headlines first for the clip and um they did not read well whatsoever um brandon thurston sectioned off the like a good chunk of the interview including howard stern's questioning and i think that at least to me recontextualizes the answer a a little bit more um this was sort of a conversation that howard began by presenting as if he had also gone through the these sorts of um scandals in or you know whatever um controversies regarding people he considered very close friends and he was asking cena how he dealt with it and so i think seeing you know like the 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 quotes of of him saying like repeatedly saying this is a man i love um, I feel we're, we're very much, you know, directed and, 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 you know, in direct sort of a reaction to that conversation and that questioning in this particular, um, I guess, interaction. Um, so I, I mean, I, I try to um, think about um, what it's like to to be John Cena and, and, and no, or any of these wrestlers with like, you know, such a, a close tie to Vince, Vince McMahon. And I, I, I just seem to think that it, it, it is some form of like almost fatherly relationship that so many of these wrestlers seem to have with the guy. Um, and it's tough for me to understand it, but it, but it's also, um, I also have a level of, I think sort of, um, um you know, Mm, I'm not as like hard on, you know, somebody for not going on a public airwaves and condemning somebody that they might consider to be their father. Could he have said something to, you know, uh, a bit more specific about um, these allegations and how awful they are? I think he made at least an attempt, um, but it probably wasn't enough for like a vast majority of the public that's listening to this and or have have already kind of made their minds about, you know, everything to do with Vince McMahon. Um, but I, at least like listening to the conversation, I, I feel like I have a bit more of like a tempered sort of, you know, reaction to it. Yeah. I think I'm similar to you in that, you know, for a lot of these wrestlers, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds. Number one is that, yes, the, like for a John Cena, and this can extend to a Randy Orton, like here are people that for their entire adult lives, they have worked for one man in Vince McMahon that they have held in this esteemed category that they have looked up to that they have I'm sure sought out mentorship from like they have a very close relationship and and that's going to go for a lot of these wrestlers that are now having to be asked about this 
And I mean, if we were looking at this as like a jury selection, John Cena and Randy Orton would be disqualified immediately. They are way too biased here in this situation. So how much are you asking of them? The counter to that would be, this is something that number one, it is not as though Vince McMahon was this character of great moral servitude that has been just, this has somehow tainted his, like there has been so many stories about this guy and plenty that you have to actively ignore, dismiss, forgive, or just completely divorce from the Vince McMahon, you know, to essentially work for this individual to call him a friend. Like there is enough out there that it's, it's something that you have to pretty much actively turn a blind eye to. And here are two performers in John Cena and Randy Orton that yes, it is these, this is a close personal friend of yours that you hold in this esteemed like respect, but you are also out there. And I think that you are, you kind of do have some kind of duty to kind of call out what is what here in your position as well. This is an industry that has for too long, I think, given passes when instead, you know, condemning a person is kind of the right call. But it's I don't, at the same time, like I don't look at this as like some easy situation. I mean, I put myself in a situation where um, like likewise, wait, like if it was you or me that had to confront this about the other, Uh, Yeah, it would be really goddamn hard for me to go on some platform and just condemn you, even if like something you did was just uh, like, so awful Uh, that that would be extremely difficult. Um, And and that and that's what the situation is for these performers who like I do not put these people as the last line of defense that are the ones that have to answer for Vince McMahon. They worked under him. And there is, you know, something something to that. But again, these are these are the situations these performers are going to be in, in these different outlets that this is a major story beyond pro wrestling or whatever entertainment vehicle they're promoting, that they are going to be asked about it. And at the very least we can see from some of these wrestlers, it's not as though they're no commenting this or just changing the subject. Like the few examples we've seen of these two of Seth Rollins, um, there's, there's been a few, but they've, you know, they've, They've said something. They they've given you something rather than just I'm not going to talk about that. You give them some something there, but it's when anyone is showing any kind of like a compassion for Vince McMahon, that that's not going to come off well. No, what troubles me might be um, the portion of the uh, quote where he talks about staying away from uh, what did he say? He says, "I don't think it's complicated to talk about." Uh, it's complicated to listen to. That's kind of why I don't necessarily put a lot of time and equity into it. I I would like a bit more clarity on what he specifically means by that. Does he mean that he's not paying attention to the lawsuit, the the specifics of the lawsuit? Is he not paying attention or simply to the discourse surrounding it? Um, That's how I I read it, but you're you're right. Well, I just need to make sure that he is taking these allegations as seriously as I think anybody should, especially if you're a representative of this company. Mm, So that part might might have you know raised a bit of concern. Um, But I I think you're talking about people that are probably too close to the situation. Uh, Like we have an idea of John Cena's relationship with Vince McMahon, but I maybe we don't even know the full extent of it. Yeah. it was brought up by Jesse Collings today on, on the show and just listening back to the clip on, on Cena. And I, I don't think this is maybe the, the intent, but you know, it seems like the, the concern is okay. This, 
this figure that is going to be disgraced in Vince McMahon. Number two is the entity. I think everyone could use some level of concern for the victim in the, in this entire thing. I mean, we can even talk about the entity. Uh, this woman was part of your entity in WWE. And I think that there is maybe, maybe not enough attention to this woman who, I mean, in the lawsuit, it pretty much labeled that she has been greatly impacted by these. And obviously so from what you have read about this. And I think that, you know, Janelle Grant, it's almost like is just representative of something here and is, mm-hmm not like there is less of a focus on her in a lot of these uh, situations. Like her name is not even brought up in a lot of these. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if her name is, is really brought up in the questioning a lot of the times. I mean, you know, at least uh, with regards to, you know, maybe these certain examples that we're talking about. Right. Um, I do find it interesting how um, people that certain, currently have like some employment with the company are obviously a a lot more careful about their answers and might even appear to be a bit more compassionate whereas you have somebody like a brett or maybe even somebody like a mcfoley who are very um they're not shy to condemn things or or just you know um just in, in in whatever we've heard from them brett's certainly been the most outspoken you can tell like mick foley i think has really struggled to um really go you know i i I think he's he's like your Cena's and your Orton's here that it's it's extremely difficult. Like you can see in in their responses to fully condemn uh, Vince McMahon of that. Like he is still this this person that they like for a John Cena. It's not just that you have uh, worked for this guy for over two decades. It's like you grew up on this guy's product. Like you were raised in front of like being a fan on top of it. Like that is kind of just the. um like the relationship that a John Cena has to this company and to um, this person on top of it. But this is like, he has to go into these situations knowing like this, this is the topic that you are going to be asked about. Now, Randy Orton, um, we, we read a excerpt when he spoke to the New York post uh, this afternoon. So I wanted to shift over to his interview with sports illustrated. This was promoting his A and E special. And he said, quote, I've got this to say, I wouldn't be where I am without Vince McMahon taking a chance on me a handful of times. I would not be where I am today without Vince McMahon. But fuck, I'm reading this shit. What you've seen and read, I've seen and read. As far as commenting on that, it fucking hurts my heart. It hurts my heart. So much happened while I was out. When I left, the old guard was still doing its thing. Vince was still around. TVs were getting rewritten over and over again. The writers were being held up until all hours in the morning. And all that changed. I'm excited to work for WWE. Nick Khan is amazing. Triple H being in charge of creative is amazing. I've had a relationship for over 20 years. I went to his wedding back in 2003. We've been at odds before when I was a fuck up when I was young and I won him back. He's seen me go from an adolescent asshole prick who didn't know what I was doing. I was an insecure punk. That's what I was. I'm the oldest sibling in my family, but he's like an older brother to me in many ways. He's always been there and had the best of advice. And that was uh, Randy Orton's uh, response to things. I mean, Less measured, I would say, here than the, the New York Post story where, I mean, it, like this is not a um, it certainly does not read as a defensive Vince McMahon, but it, it does give you the sense that, you know, someone that's also not burying his head in the sand either that, um, you know, what you've read and seen, I've read and seen. And I'd be very curious, to be quite honest, how many people, talents especially, have gone through and read the lawsuit and how many just do not want to know what's in that in that lawsuit. Like there are people that are just, um, you know probably do not want to have those those images in their head of this person that 
still, there are going to be those that, that hold Vince McMahon to a high standard in their mind. Certainly. Yeah. Um, and how would you know? How much yeah. is it right? Yeah. It's anyway. So there you go. Those were um, some comments we wanted to discuss. Seven Bucks Productions has announced a film in development on the life of Ric Flair. And uh, Dwayne Johnson said that, you know, Ric Flair, he was a hero to me. And once I broke into the wrestling business and began to spill my own sweat and blood, my reverence for Rick turned to respect because I realized just how rare and impossible it is to disrupt the wrestling business culture and truly change the game. And that's exactly what Ric Flair did. This project is personal and we can't wait to tell his unbelievable story. As always, thank you for the house, Rick. Mm-hmm. So boy, is this going to be a scathing look <sighs> at the life of Ric Flair? It'll be as scathing as um, fighting with my family might have been to to the night, um, which is not at all. I mean, um, I, this is a man making a movie about a famous person. You know, um, I I highly doubt it'll get into any of more of the controversial aspects of, of his life. But I I think um, it'll probably get into some of the darkness of it somehow um, if it has sort of like like I mean that most most movies do, don't they? Um, but uh, you know he he sees an opportunity he has great reverence for rick flair clearly um has uh, a lot of you know history with with him and um sees an opportunity to make money for his film company will they be casting um <laughs> the guy from the iron claw i mean if anything i would i would totally put him in for a cameo appearance as like um you know some some role who would you cast flair. as rick flair as rick flair oh i don't know you know, yeah. on on Young Rock in the first season, you know who played Ric Flair? Who? Grayson Waller. Oh, okay. I don't think he's getting cast as Ric Flair in this. No, I don't think so either. I guess um, we're going to be talking about Ric Flair a lot this week. We're going to talk about Ric Flair on this edition of Dynamite. We're going to be talking about Sean versus uh, Flair, his retirement match on Rewind Away on Thursday. Um, he's... He's obviously going to he's re-entered the spotlight, you know, ahead of revolution with this match against Sting. Um how how much is any sort of um, you know, controversy uh or or sort of like questioning about, you know, that episode of Dark Side of the Ring, how much of it is it going to come up in this week's discussions, next week's discussions, and when this movie comes out? Or is it the type of thing that audiences will largely kind of move on from? I mean, it's it's at a time when, you know, you had had Flair off television for several weeks and you're bringing him back at a time when I would I would say like this industry overall is under a lot of fire and everybody is going to be, I think, examined for for that type of behavior in the past, alleged or not. It's I think it is well within the possibility that it's it's something that is, is brought up like you you certainly saw it online tonight when Ric Flair showed up and there were like, you know, there are people that are upset to see Ric Flair on television there are um you know the idea of you know this this biopic that is obviously going to very much be like a a hero piece for for rick flair and whether it is going to you know get into that territory like certainly we saw that peacock documentary even though rick flair had stated that he would be addressing it and then the final cut comes out and there's nothing in regards to the the plane ride from hell uh, being addressed in there there's also, and this is like a more minor thing, but here you have Dwayne Johnson, TKO board member, and you're greenlighting a project involving now somebody working for AEW. 
Well, who knows when this movie will come out, right? And what yeah, Rick this Blair's... is only like in development now. Like this could be years before this is finally released. Like, look at the Mark Kerr document, the Mark Kerr movie. I mean, there could be. Does, very... this, does this leapfrog Mark Kerr? Um, like in terms of release date? Oh, do they do they just put the resources behind this? Or is Mark Kerr gonna have to wait on the sidelines? Well, there might be release? more money in a Ric Flair biopic than you know a Dwayne Johnson A twenty four film, perhaps. I, so, I, but he he'll maybe be, Dwayne Johnson's gonna play Ric Flair in this. He's just gonna play all the leads and all of his movies. So we should just cast him as everybody then, shouldn't we? Um, yeah, I mean, who knows by the time this movie comes out, um, whether or not or not Ric Flair will still be a part of AEW. I think there'd be a very good chance he WWE would would put him back in, in, into their fold. AEW made the announcement that they have hired uh, former WWE writer Jennifer Pepperman as its new vice president of content development. They put out the press release that AEW CEO and head of creative Tony Khan announced that award-winning director and producer Jennifer Pepperman has joined AEW today as VP of content development, a professional wrestling producer and senior writer since 2017. Pepperman was a prolific director and executive producer of renowned soap operas, including As the World Turns, One Life to Live, and After Forever. Pepperman has won three daytime Emmys for Best Directing across her career, bringing decades of experience in production and directing to AEW. Pepperman will work alongside CEO and head of creative Tony Khan in the development of content for AEW Dynamite, live on TBS every Wednesday, AEW Rampage on TNT, and Collision Saturdays. So Jennifer Pepperman, um, although not stated in the press release, was with WWE since 2017 and had recently uh, opted to leave the company and now making a lot more sense that she definitely had a, a landing spot in mind and staying within professional wrestling. My question to you, Wade, do you see like one of the selling features for talent when AEW was launching was the idea of not having writers, that this was going to be, um, you know, you are not going to have uh, scripts. Do you see this as kind of a, a slow movement towards what, what could ultimately be maybe a small but a writing staff nonetheless and more of sort of that kind of story structure that AEW, like it has been both, you know, a lot of freedom that comes with the positives and negatives. I mean, so, I mean, we, we know maybe that that might have been the case in the early days, but don't they already have a writing staff at, at present, even an, an official one? You know, we, we know people that are attached to their creative teams. Um, it's not so much that they're identified as like writers, that they are, you know, that there is creative input. Of course, that was always the, the case. But this seems to be like a like it would seem like Jennifer Pepperman is coming in as essentially to have a lot more. Oh, she even got the graphic. too. Yeah. By the way, has, has a writer ever received a uh, blank is elite graphic before Emmy award winning writer does. Yes. Yeah, Did Will Washington get one? Yes, he got one. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I mean, we know he's involved at least, but yeah, I guess what well, technically what is a writer versus somebody who's helping out with creative? I mean, I mean, her title is all elite vice president of content. So take that for whatever you will. I I imagine in the end, it's all kind of similar. Um, but as far as we know, like the first uh, wo woman on on the creative staff. I mean, I have there been rumblings of like. Oh, I forget. I think I forget who might have been mentioned, you know, as maybe being even attached. But like, at least uh, th this will certainly be the more, most prominent, you know, ca capacity for somebody. Um, and it, uh, to this day, I think um, the women's division, especially creative around the women's division, is is one of the more um, criticized things about AEW, and I think rightfully so. Um, and you look towards maybe somebody like Jennifer Pepperman as being a direct answer to some of those criticisms. Um, her credentials are also very long and um, 
you maybe just even uh helping you know to to make the show feel a bit more mm, uh, it's hard to like maybe um it's hard to avoid uh, like people who continue to maybe argue that this show is becoming too much like WWE. I, 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 I don't think that should be the, 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 like what we should be looking at. We should be looking at whether or not this is a good show and um, they know how to put on great matches. Um, but I, I'm in agreement with a lot of the people that seem to think that the storytelling could use a little bit of polish. There's a lot of great storytelling on, on, on AEW, but of, especially in the mid card, I think certain things could use a bit of help, and I'm curious to see what she brings to the table that would be make the product different. Yeah, I, I know people thought very highly of her work in in WWE, and yeah, that that is always going to be a balancing act for AEW when you are bringing in people whose exclusive experience is in WWE and bringing in the idea that you are still an alternative that wants to have your own flavor to to be that alternative. And not just the idea that with WWE, that's the industry standard. That is the right way to do things. You can't operate a company just trying to be, you know, playing catch up to WWE. You have to have your own uniqueness to it. And and I think that is always going to be something that you are need to be cognizant of when you are AEW. Certainly. WWE has received a, uh, a $1.6 million credit for a unspecified tv series from the ohio motion picture tax credit program um with the cleveland scene outline uh outlet reporting this and going back to last fall uh fightful select had reported that cleveland is the front runner to get SummerSlam this year so this would likely be what this tax credit is for um which is a hell of a price tag to get for uh SummerSlam in cleveland which would be at uh one of the stadiums there and yeah that would that would seem that all of this lines up so now is this just another word for a, I guess a variation of a site fee? Uh in in more ways than yeah, like essentially like here's a They get tax tax credits though in several places, right? Yeah, I mean sometimes you'll see at the end of a program where like in Georgia or something that like they'll they'll note mm-hmm. where that they have gotten something, but this is a, a pretty pretty sizable one uh that they have. But yes, Cleveland way. Cleveland rocks. Great city until 9 9 p.m. hits. Uh, that's right. They have a great museum, though. Shotzi revealed that she has a, a torn ACL and estimates that she's going to be out for nine months and has undergone surgery. The match aired on Tuesday night and the spot, in fact, aired where it was just like a simple DDT off the apron where she landed on the floor with her feet. And when they planted, I mean, she immediately goes down. The knee is injured. And when we come back, she's been removed from the ring and they just proceeded with Lyra and Lash Legend. Um, torn ACL sucks. It's, um, you know, nine months is, is probably, I mean, she'll be kind of, you know, the goal will probably be like late this year, uh, to come back from, but I mean, she posted a pretty lengthy message that it seemed like she's in a, a good headspace in terms of like needing this time off and not taking time off when she dealt with both the passing of her father and stepfather. Her sister has gone through cancer. Of course, many people are familiar when she shaved her head to do that in, kind of a solidarity with her sister and seems to be like this, this break for her is probably a good thing. That's how she, she seems to be looking at it, which is very admirable. You know, I don't think anybody ever wants to um, be injured in this line of, of work, but it's, I, I wasn't aware she had gone through as much, you know, I knew about her sister, but didn't know about her father and stepfather passing away. Um, so obviously there, there's been a lot um, 
that's happened to her in her life. And, and she seems to be at least at this point looking at this forced time off as a bit of a, you know, way for her to maybe get her um, sort of mental state in check as well. Um, and I hope she, she finds th- that, that, that sort of peace, you know, or at least, at least, I don't know, uh, rest, you know, for, for her herself. Um, I thought the way they presented the injury was like, well, like pretty much as honest as I think, like, you know, you could have asked for. They went to commercial. I mean, it was a spot that was designed to go to commercial any anyway after the DDT. But coming back from commercial, they just had Lyra in the ring. And then you saw everything else unfold with uh, Ava coming out, may, opening up the open challenge, and then Lash Legend coming in and challenging. I'm assuming because she was of all the people that were still dressed up in their gear, maybe the most experienced. And they proceeded to have, I think of really like considering the circumstances and considering last, like what we've seen from last legend in the past, I was very impressed with everybody involved, not just the, not just Lyra, of course, but, but also last legend also um, just the in spot the- with Roxanne Perez, I thought was great where they yeah. show her in the back and she's like, she's been like in the shower and missed out on the open challenge. I, I yeah. thought that was a nice little addition as well to it further showed to me that like- they were, like it was paying attention to detail because they probably knew why wouldn't you know Roxanne have uh come out to, to answer the challenge so yeah that was very smart attention to detail I think the referee did a great job conveying whatever instruction he had to convey throughout the match it was one of those sort of like very unique moments in, in a pro wrestling match where um I I think there was a lot more beyond just what what it, it was handled so well way that if if someone was not aware of the story would probably just think this was like the plan like this mm-hmm. was just a storyline like that how seamless it came across on yeah. tuesday like you had an injury and then it set up this new challenge and you're pushing this roxanne character it's like they they did the best that they could and it helped that this was a taped show and you had a yes. week to also like clean it up and present it how you wanted it to well i'm curious how much they actually had to clean up because I, yes they probably took quite a quite an extended break than you know just a commercial break to, to get everything together but but nonetheless um the match felt like I couldn't tell that there was any edits within the match itself. So. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Uh, Moving on, Josh Alexander, his contract has been uh, extended by a year with uh, TNA. So he had signed a deal with TNA that was a two-year deal with a one-year company option that they have exercised. Um, Fightful Select reporting uh, these details because initially TNA had put out this graphic that they have re-signed Josh Alexander. And then they updated this graphic that they have, uh, I guess, uh, extended josh alexander's contract so um the clock starts ticking now for february of 2025 when his deal will be up with tna yeah this whole thing um i feel was a bit of a shit show you know for on tna's part um and just seems to carry on the narrative that this is now um a roster that has 
turned on this this management and whether or not that's true for Josh Alexander we don't know um but i think it was like the, the fact that they they tweeted out the graphic saying that they they've re-signed him and then his wife specifically quote tweeting commenting that they extended who, who also the works contract for yes yes and i think that it was her like being diplomatic in trying to clarify what what had gone on here but this reads to people that already kind of you know coming off that letter um sensing discontent among the roster as anthem almost forcing a guy to to continue to stay with them because they have the legal right to and this is and i mean they were probably going to do it anyway but i'm just saying this is how it unfortunately reads and i feel they're in a position where they still have to do a whole lot of pr control um when it comes to just this narrative of this roster not being in sync with with this company. Yeah, and they've got the they've got their pay-per-view special on Friday night with No Surrender and they're doing back-to-back nights in New Orleans. So these will be the first shows back since the Scott Demore release. Um which I think that's the most interesting part of this weekend is sort of what you like if there's any uh representation of this that you can detect on screen as well. Also coming up this Friday is New Japan's first of two nights in Sapporo. Uh, The Friday show, which airs early Friday morning, has uh, Nick Nemeth's debut in New Japan, challenging David Finley for the IWGP Global Heavyweight title. It's also Matt Riddle's uh, debut, challenging Hiroshi Tanahashi for the World Television Championship. So that has the 15-minute time limit. Shota Umino against Evil for the Never Openweight Championship. Can't wait. And El Desperado defending the junior heavyweight title against Show and the uh, a rare defense of the IWGP women's title with Mayu Iwatani and Mina Shirakawa. It'll round out with a bunch of multi-man tags. And then Saturday's show has Tetsuya Naito and Sonata for the IWGP world heavyweight title. I mean, the countdown since the Tokyo Dome for this rematch has, it, we're finally here. Yota Suji, Yuya Yuimura in a hair versus hair match. It's going to leave a lot of people very sad to see one of these men bald. Uh, Taichi, Shingo Takagi in a singles match. Hiromu Takahashi against Doki. Takamichinoku against Bushi, which has to follow Kazuchika Okada's farewell match, uh, which will be the second match on the card, teaming with Tanahashi, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi against Matt Riddle, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, Hanare, and Francesco Akira. Very interesting how they're um, almost like putting these Okada final matches into the mid-card as if like they're not as significant um portions of the show it's it's just very unusual I'm, i mean i'm sure there's a method to it um is there i don't know we'll we'll see we'll see what they get out of uh okada's final two matches i'm not too optimistic going into these shows that they're getting much out of out of these that they could mm-hmm. uh but we will see we will see if the, this is a memorable 10-man tag second match in on on saturday and karen and bruce will be reviewing both those shows this weekend in the post wrestling cafe yes that will be on the cafe as they review those two we'll go very very quickly through the uh, the ratings notes here smackdown did um another very good number but not a giant boost from the week prior but these are like on the higher end of what smackdown does two million five hundred fifty five thousand viewers and a 0.75 in the demo obviously growth for the final quarter with the rock um that was the peak for the two-hour show Rampage on Friday was outside of its time slot at 7 Eastern, so it did 300,000 viewers and a .09, and we will see what the bounce back is this Friday. 
and then Raw on Monday, 1,870,000 viewers and a 0.63 in the demo. So they were up 7% in viewership. It was their largest 18 to 49 audience since the Raw after the Survivor Series with Punk and Orton returning and their largest 18 to 34 audience since the Monday after WrestleMania last year. And again, this was the Cody quarter. From 8.15 to 8.30, the second half of their match with, with Drew McIntyre, topping 2 million viewers. So they cannot miss with Cody at the moment. He is the the biggest mover that they have. And it was another case of that on, on Monday's show. And no football? No football. No. Coast they're just clear. Uh, yeah, the, the coast is clear uh, mm-hmm. for, for Cody Rhodes. Final thing here is on Thursday, we have got Rewind Away coming up. As we have mentioned, we are going to be chatting about WrestleMania 24 from March of 2008. And we're going to have a very big show because joining us on Rewind Away on Thursday will be former WWE referee Jimmy Corderas, who was the third man in the ring for Edge versus The Undertaker. So here is a brief preview of that interview with Jimmy Corderas able to to share any of the conversations either with uh taker or adam after the match and just how they felt afterwards if there was was any sort of just uh reflection the, the night of on the match and how things went from their perspectives well the, the of the two the first one i ran into was adam and uh i said adam was were you okay with everything and he said it was just great and you know uh, like I said, he was a good friend, good, you know, fellow Canadian, so to speak. But, mm-hmm. you know, being there at WrestleMania six, he says, uh, you know, seeing you in the ring with the frolic, as he called it back in the day, <laughs> ha- and then having you ref my, my main event match at WrestleMania has meant a lot to me. And, and, and I started to get emotional, but I sucked it in. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, there, there's no crying at wrestling, so to speak. You know what I mean? But you know what? I mean? It wasn't sad. It was tears of joy. And he was very grateful. And then T- Taker had his own little space and I, and I, and I he was tired and, and you, you know, sitting in a chair and I went up to him and you, you know, it's traditionally you, you shake your hand and you thank you, thank them for the match. And I would take her. Thank you so much for this. Were you, were you okay with everything? He said, absolutely. It was awesome. Thank you very much for your, you know, and, and I couldn't hold it back in anymore. And that's when he kind of like, Again, wow. gave me the little hug. I couldn't, I couldn't hold it in anymore. It felt so emotional to the point where, let's say, if my career were to end the next day, I would have been perfectly fine with it because I, I, it was a crowning achievement. Does it get much better than that? Do you know what I mean? It's hard to surpass a moment like that for me. So that was just a small portion of our interview with Jimmy Corderas that will be coming out on Thursday in conjunction with our review of WrestleMania 24 from the Citrus Bowl. That's awesome. Can't wait to listen to the whole thing. Okay, so that'll be up at postwrestlingcafe.com. And again, a reminder, we will not be back Friday night for Rewind to SmackDown. Instead, we will be back Saturday, noon Eastern, here on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel following Elimination Chamber. So Saturday at noon Eastern for this week only. And do you know what I completed on February the 21st at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time? No. The NWA podcast. Wow. All right. It didn't take you that long. When when you get so late into a show that they got a super chat from Martin Bushby noting, I'm off to work right now and you guys are still going. I mean, that that to me was the, the signal of uh, the longest NWA podcast in history. I, I, and I think they only continue to top themselves. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to uh, next month's edition. I still have to work my way through this month. Uh, I'll be honest, but um. I will get through it as I do all of it, um, all of them. A great job by all four of them. I don't know. They get to Vince McMahon around 
four hours and 15 minutes into the show. That's when that's when they dive into like, you know, like uh, the, the topic to just like close down the show. At the end well, of the yeah, of course. Anyway. Uh, but they spent a lot of the time on this uh, particular episode talking about their favorite Afrocentric moments in professional wrestling history. Of course, February is Black History Month. And speaking of which, our friends over at Chop Tees have a current sale going on for the remainder of February. Support black creators on Chop Tees by getting 20% off all pullover hoodies when you purchase any hoodie shown below. That includes the Rocky Maivia picture show. What up, though? MCU later. Bushby and Thompson's wrestling adventure or the aforementioned Nubian wrestling advocates. And if hoodies aren't your thing and you prefer t-shirts, well, the same sale applies. If you buy any of the aforementioned uh, uh, TV podcasts represented on a t-shirt, get 20% off any other T up to five site wide, no code needed. Just add eligible items and discounts. will show in your cart again, chop dash tees.com. What what does that say before shipping? Free shipping, John. Okay, now what? let's 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 be clear. You have to live in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, and most of the EU, which I think is like ninety nine point nine percent of the people listening to this podcast um, covers at least one of those. Um, so, chop-cheese.com, Free shipping. Support your favorite creators. That's right. The The money goes to the, the show of choice that you are supporting. So it's a great way to support your your favorite podcasters. All right. Uh, we are going to move on over to Dynamite from Tulsa, Oklahoma on Wednesday night in front of uh, what WrestleTix announced 3,128 tickets out. And we're kicking off with FTR against John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. Cash starts headbutting away on John Moxley. Moxley would hit a tope suicida, and Taz gets pissed at some fans who started booing early on in this match. Just went off on some of these fans. There's a spike pile driver to Dax on the floor, go through the break, and then we're getting the time updates from Justin Roberts. They hit the 15-minute mark. Claudio stops a shatter machine attempt to Moxley, and then Cash lifts up uh, uh, Moxley here for kind of a version of the Doomsday device where he's hoisting him up, and then Claudio interrupts the powerplex attempt. Claudio gets sent into the post, so then they hit the powerplex to Moxley. That leads to um, Claudio returning with the giant swing and a seated dropkick by Moxley. That leads to a big near fall. The crowd's really getting into all the big near falls. Dax applies a sharpshooter to Moxley, and then it leads to Claudio applying his own sharpshooter to Cash Wheeler. And they're face-to-face with their sharpshooters, and they start slapping one another. And then they let go of their respective submissions to go into a striking mode. Pile drivers hit the Claudio. Moxley tries for the crucifix. Crowd pops for the near fall. And then right as they attempt the shatter machine, the time limit is reached. At 20 minutes, the crowd starts to boo. Then they chant five more minutes. And then as they're doing the pull apart, this crowd was so amped to see these guys get their hands on one another. So I thought this time limit worked really effectively in the crowd. You're always going to get the natural like uh, deflating return, uh, like finish when you hit the time limit. But it was like they just wanted to see more. And they were really into the post-match stuff here. And looks like this will segue into revolution for a rematch. Mm. Very, yeah, yeah. I, this was a really, really good high intensity opener to start off Dynamite. I, I liked how this week in FTR's domain of tag team wrestling, I, they they were almost positioned at least to start as the favorites here, and 
they were shown very much, you know, not just being capable, but almost expected to beat a main eventer like a John Moxley here. Um, it was consistently entertaining for the entire 20 minutes and had some really great looking action, big spots like Claudio with the double suplex, uh, the giant swing and those double sharpshooters, which um, are, uh, um, I guess, quite a sight to behold, you know, enough that uh, it, it got Dax to, to let go. Um, it felt unlike maybe last week to me, this felt to me like a, like a dream level anticipated type of matchup between FTR versus two members of the BCC. So it, it, it was more than engaging for me for the entire 20 minutes and uh, certainly continues to build towards a big matchup revolution. So they did the pull apart afterwards and we get more from the teams a little later on, but Renee is with orange Cassidy and Dr. Sampson and Renee did an incredible job recapping everything that orange Cassidy has gone through over the last month all the members of the best friends that have been laid out or are not cleared. He went over to England, did a stopover at Wembley Stadium, then de- decided to defend his title at RevPro. And she asks to uh, Samson, is he cleared? And he responded, he's barely cleared, but therefore he's cleared. I would love to know what barely cleared means. Mm, I'm get- Maybe there's a score. Uh, of some sort that you um, give for every function, bodily function that he has, and he 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 barely passed. Do you have a concussion? You barely don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're really compromised, but you're not concussed. Are there not degrees of concussion though? Um, th- there are degrees of them, but it's like a concussion is a concussion. So I mean, um, right? Well, that's not what he has. Well, he's barely cleared. That that's what we learned. Mm. Um. Then we go to they actually showed footage from the from the high stakes card over the weekend in Orange Cassidy defending the international title in the opener there. So, I mean, we, we saw um, oh, this is, is this the first time we've seen Reb Pro footage here? I know when Osprey impacted their match, I don't think they ever showed it. in eight, I don't know if they've ever wrong. recognized like an, a Reb Pro event as much as as they have like on this evening. I felt like it was brought up multiple times um, on the show. Um I don't know. I mean, it's within maybe their universe defenses, maybe, but it's um, within maybe. like their all their associations with you know New Japan and um, everything. So, FTR is with Alex Marvez, and they came here to kick the BCC's ass. They don't bow down to anyone and issue the challenge for a rematch at Revolution. And then BCC shows up; they're held back in the parking lot, and that looks to be another match to what is shaping up to be a really loaded pay per view next Sunday. Yeah, and 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 one that I think is heavily anticipated. I mean, it, it was heavily anticipated. I think coming into this dynamite, but you saw a twenty-minute preview that um, only elevated. I think your anticipation. So you figure the rematch has to go longer, doesn't it? Yeah, they said. You know, they said no time limits, or at least like that's what uh, Cash was saying. No time limits. So, um, what what's the stipulation? You think? Do you think there is a stipulation, or they just no time limits? That's it. Five hours. Can they outdo Chris, Nate, <laughs> Andrew, and two-way Ray? They might have to make it tonight, too. Goal. Uh, so they were plugging dates here, and they noted that there will be a dual dynamite and collision taping on Wednesday, April the 3rd in Wusker at the DCU Center. The significance of that is the collision going against night one of WrestleMania will also be a taped show from several nights prior. Not to say that that uh, going live would have been the savior of Jeez. that night, but this is probably going to be the lowest collision ever. Um, and it will just be interesting to see what I am sure they're going to put some, some big match 
on that show. I really don't see them making it a, a nothing card. Um, but it will be interesting to see what, what they do on that night. And it will be, in fact, a tape show against uh, the Saturday night show. I think we've seen, like, does tape matter all that much? Tape versus live when it comes to something like this? People, it's going to draw probably record low ratings for Collision either way. So, I mean, is it going to be any different? The, the they question could also be, I mean... Of nights of the year, that would be tough to sell tickets. Um, would would yeah. the night of WrestleMania be an even tougher night to run live? And you're trying to sell tickets uh, to something Wooster as opposed to doing it the Wednesday prior. Orange Cassidy and Mike Bennett uh, was up next. And I mean, this match was like 90% Bennett just destroying Orange Cassidy, which is kind of the story that this guy is just chugging along and is barely cleared. So Roderick Strong runs down, distracting referee Stephon Smith. So Bennett is able to punch him in the dick and then hit a pile driver. But Orange kicks out. They go through the break. Cassidy lands a suicide dive and he's being beaten down. DVD on the floor is hit by Bennett. And then he hits a gotch pile driver, pair of rolling elbows. And he goes to lift up Orange, who counters it into the beach break. Nine minutes, 43 seconds as Orange Cassidy wins. But then Matt Taven's into attack. Roderick Strong runs in. And then coming to the savior of Orange Cassidy, Jake Hager, with one of the biggest reactions I've ever heard this guy get, comes down in Oklahoma wearing his sunglasses and a uh, pretty big pop here. It's like this guy watched The Rock on Friday. It was like, sunglasses. That's what I'm missing. I mean, the Orange Cassidy thing as well. But yeah, maybe instead of a hat, he's, um, he now loves his sunglasses. So yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see what, um, I guess outside of Oklahoma, Jake Hager's reaction reaction will be because this was certainly the night to re-debut him. I don't know what's been going on with Jake Hager um, other than like him being a sort of a loose part of like the XJS and um, what attachment he might possibly have to Orange Cassidy beyond both loving sunglasses. I don't know. Um, this was a bit of a sort of random, you know, other than the Oklahoma local thing, um, but otherwise a little random. Well, you'll get you'll get the continuation of Jake Hager on Rampage. Renee interviews Angelo Parker. He's set to go on his date with Ruby Soho. She shows up and uh, this big car show pops up and Ruby's impressed. Is like, is this our ride? No, I got us a lift. Great job, by Nothing wrong Parker. with that. Not every, I mean, come on, he doesn't even live here. I guess. Yeah. I mean I guess he the, the, she was expecting him to hire a limo. Well, instead it's Ric Flair that gets out of, of this car. And he goes up to Renee, says he's disappointed. He thought he was going to be more involved in this program with Sting, but clarifies he's not upset with Sting. But I haven't been here for the last three to four weeks, so I'm going to explore some options. And he knocks on the Young Bucks door, enters, and chats with the Bucks. And we never got any follow-up to this. I mean, I think this this kind of told you everything you needed to know, right? You know, he's, he is no longer aligning himself with Sting, and he's choosing to align himself with, with the enemy. So, you know, when he started this promo and he started talking, like, I, I thought he, I thought he was like shooting on Tony Khan for not booking him enough on this show. I At least they wanted, they wanted to play off of, uh, of that, but this yeah. is for storyline purposes, but it's still like, does it work with, it still works with storyline, right? Cause I guess he's mad that sting hasn't flown him out or at least asked him to any accompany of your him. Complaints about anything. It can all be now transferred onto the young bucks to absorb the storyline heat for what could be your criticisms of anything. In well, how would that work in this case? 
well, in the, in this one, like if if there is a disgruntled talent, I mean, now uh, you you can just blame it on the young bucks. Well, I'm just saying, like it, Flair is mad at Sting, I guess, for not um, asking him to accompany him throughout all of these matches. He said never... he's not upset with Sting. Who's he upset with then? He's upset with management. What? Yeah, yeah, he's going to explore his op- his options. I thought he was. So he's not upset with Sting. He literally said, I'm not upset with Sting. He just thought he would be. So what's going on here? What is this story? Explain this to me. Listen, this will be this will be on the to do list for Jen Pepperman. (laughs) Okay, whatever. All right, then. I don't know how many people have been missing Ric Flair these last couple of weeks, but uh, he's here and he's obviously going to be a prime focus of this this retirement over the next 10 days. Yeah, we have like one more dynamite basically before revolution. And I I will I would have expected a bit more Ric Flair, you know, attached to things retirement than this. I mean, I, I thought this like firmly kind of puts Flair into the heel camp. Um, using him being disgruntled that he's not appeared on TV <laughs> uh so much recently. Sure. And um I think we all at least want no matter how like all feel like complicated feelings I would say around Ric Flair aside, this is his greatest rival. And and to have Flair uh, opposing Sting for that particular moment, I think will probably add a lot to the presentation of that match. And they'll, I'm sure they're going to do a like physicality at the pay per view. Like Flair's going to do something with them. A figure four, but uh, anything beyond that, you think? Chops. I I think they're going to do like something with them, and Is it'll he, get a pop and a bump off the top rope. Flair or Sting? Flair. Who knows? Who knows? Depends if he's barely cleared or not <laughs> i think he's more than barely cleared shivani brings out daniel garcia to announce that he will be facing christian at revolution for the tnt title and garcia explains as they chant you deserve it he says sometimes i feel like i don't deserve it so i really appreciate that he always was told he was going to be great but a few months ago he was at his lowest point and he lost that feeling all he needed was three seconds, and he got that at the end of the Continental Classic when he got his one win. He was down, and you people picked me up. And with that, Christian and the Patriarchy come out, stating that Adam Copeland will never receive another title match. Garcia is on a hell of a run, but doesn't think his match should happen at Revolution. You're not ready. Your dancing is just a distraction to make the people smile. And he notes your rough upbringing, bringing up Jackie Garcia, his mother. Being married to a man named David Garcia, your father. And it just so happens that I'm aware your father is dead and proceeds to note that he was a loser alcoholic. And unlike you, I want you to fulfill your potential. Instead of being your opponent at Revolution, I want to be your father. And Garcia does not take to this. He threatens Cage for bringing up his mother's name and he will put Christian into the ground. So Nick Wayne is sent out. He goes to put him in the lion tamer. Luchasaurus runs down and then Menard is out with a chair and Garcia and Menard send them away with it, with the chairs. Uh, I thought Garcia said it really, really good here. You know, just made a, a good promo that made effective use of his losing streak storyline on, on collision or sorry, sorry, uh, during the continental classic and, and just had some great fire, great lines reacting to Christians like a great Christian uh, dead father promo. Um, so I, I, I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting a three-way. We could still get that, I suppose, but I, um, time's ticking. I mean, you got to do that angle like Saturday or Wednesday. Right. 
which yeah. which is still enough time, but um, seems like there's enough heat just between these two. I, I don't know if you're doing this kind of an angle if you're just inserting Adam Copeland into that. It kind of clouds the picture because that's mm-hmm. your big grudge is Copeland and Christian, and now like you've created this grudge with Daniel Garcia. Like I would like I I'm sure like this this story about like his dad. I'm sure it's pretty close to if not like the full truth of like uh, everything. So I, have we known Christian to lie ever? Yeah. Well, I just I don't think you're doing this if it was just for um, no reason um, to mm. just do it like a three way. Um, I kind of feel like you should just go with this. I think so, too. They, they managed to do, do a good enough job in this segment, I felt. Renee is with RVD, Hangman and Hook. And Hangman's noting the opportunity they all have. Hook losing to Joe, RVD losing to Swerve. And then Paige just gets mad at them, says this is serious shit, which gets censored. And RVD is just asking about where Prince Nana is tonight. Not a, not the most coherent uh, setup here, but this will be. Yeah, I'm guessing that was supposed to be like a weed joke from RVD. Yeah, uh, like, can I tell you just like how hysterical the weed jokes are in 2024? Like, they're 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 so cutting edge. I they get me every time. Why would he need to wait for Prince Nana? Like, you could just go to the store. Um, you know. Yeah, like like we like the whole world does. Maybe not in Oklahoma, I suppose. Um, you, you know, like someone the age of Hook, like it's not even like a thing. Like, like yeah, it's like okay, this is a very normalized drug in in today's present culture. You that, could uh, probably ask Hook, honestly. Yeah. Um. So I mean, we got a glimpse of like you know uh, Paige being a bit a, a little heelish here. He he was chastising RVD for losing the 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 what is it um hand selected opponent match that uh against swerve um, so uh, we'll see uh i mean how how that progresses the women's matches we had tony storm and diana perrazzo with uh with matches with uh unannounced opponents so the first one was tony storm and sydney winnell uh build from uh from tulsa and Storm just hits a running bulldog. They cut to black and white as she poses to the audience. And then after a hip attack and Storm Zero, she goes for the ankle lock, but instead releases the hold and applies the Venus de Milo and submits her in a minute 51. So you kind of get the sense of where Deanna Perrazzo's match was going to go very quick. It was sort of just to establish the uh, the swapping the finisher. Mm-hmm. Deanna comes out as Storm is being carried out. So we have the two of them stare at one another on the ramp with the, the half screen in color and the other half in black and white. And it's at this point that they do officially announce Supercard of Honor for the Leah Chorus Center, which is not a small building like that. I want to say is like 9,000 or so that it can hold for Friday night, April the 5th in philadelphia so probably won't be set up for nine thousand. you know probably probably not do nine thousand for that show but add that to the list for wrestlemania weekend Mm -hmm. diana perrazzo and madison rain they note this is madison's first match of the year they go through a picture in picture break madison is setting up for eat defeat it is countered and diana looks to be going for a flatliner and she spikes Madison straight down on her head. And this, I like just gasped as did, as mm-hmm. did most people. Um, Paul Turner looks so concerned here. And Deanna just continues. She teases the Venus de Milo and then applies the ankle lock and uh, ends in seven minutes and 19 seconds. And don't change this image because they <sighs> replay this. I swear to God, as the Intuit TurboTax move of the night. Yeah. Whoever made this call, just 
I couldn't believe that they replayed this as the move of the night. I mean, this, hopefully Madison is okay. She just rolled out. Like, she was moving, but... I mean, God knows if we get an update later. Um, this mm-hmm. looked very, very concerning. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so let me just say, um, Madison Rain didn't look good in this match. She wasn't looking good before this flatliner. And I don't know if it was just like her getting gassed or if she was hurt otherwise, but she looked very lackadaisical, even approaching that very scary moment. And then by the time she took that move, I... I I just you know like you fear for the worst. So I I mean for one thing I was happy to see like AEW uh, referee Paul Turner here stop the action to at least check and clearly got the okay before the match proceeded. But man, it put a very awkward damper and a scary damper to the show. And for them to use this moment as their Intuit TurboTax moment of the night is completely tone deaf. I feel um. Like you're going, like you're going, uh, like I understand. Like for one of these, you you've got to just pick something quick. Like you just grab the finisher. The finisher would be just the clip that you replay, would it not? Yeah, I mean, maybe it was going out of your way to pick this. For for me, it's yeah, it's just uh, the the there are moments in pro wrestling where things get real and things get scary. And no matter how devastating they might actually look, because they probably were actually devastating, I don't think it's a good choice to remind and celebrate those moments for an audience, especially coming so soon after it actually happened, when we don't even know the health status of a Madison Rain yet. Also worth noting, this is Madison's first match since August. And prior to that, April. So I mean, she's had like two, she had had two matches before tonight since uh, in the last year. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, this was not a good match for her, um, in, in many ways. I hope she's okay. Yeah, yeah, like this, this was a total mess. And yeah, hopefully she was okay. Cause like it, she definitely looked like, um, you know, like stunned from it. And hopefully that, that was it. And there's no like significant injury. It looked really nasty. Then Tony runs down and misses Deanna with the shoe. Um, Deanna hits a pump kick and then Mariah Mays on the apron. And this allows Tony storm to apply the ankle lock that they're just calling break a leg. And, and then yes, we got the intuit turbo tax move of the night. And I just like, I literally shook my head. I could not fathom that they were showing this, this replay here as their sponsored segment. Yeah, should I be ta- uh, changing my tax software as uh, in, in protest of, of this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, overall, though, I think uh, Deanna versus Tony Storm has been a pretty well built pro- program so far. Uh, they've been they've done a good job of conveying the history between the two. Last week had a really, really like beautifully shot and produced vignette for Tony Storm, um, and I think. This week, they did a good job of building both of their finishers, the submissions here in the, the Venus de Milo and the break a leg. I think they've done a great job for this match going into like, I think this is going to be one of the the more um, like, I think they should have like a solid like response to this this match uh, at, at the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they've done a very effective job with it. They go to a, a taped promo with Darby, who's looking at old photos of sting with his family and shows this one of sting when his kids were the same age as the young bucks kids and noting that the only thing that matters in the end is family sting walks into the shot and says family is all that matters and in all of my time in this industry no one has ever messed with my family until now with the young bucks and you're going back to this angle that that happened two weeks ago He says, there's a lot that's been going on in my personal life over the past several weeks. 
including my father passing away last week. And the level of just um, sadness in his voice and the way I like, I've never heard him speak like this before. It was like something to see. He called him a hero and taught me right and made me think about my own mortality. I used to feel that I was invincible, but time catches up and it's caught me for sure. I'm not invincible, but everything that I have left in me, I'm bringing to revolution and you bucks are going to have a fight on your hands, the fight of your life. Um, so th- this was like, I'm sure like very few people knew, knew this. Um, this was like, if you want to talk about someone taking like personal tragedy and applying it to their art form, um, this was just an incredible segment. This was an incredible oh, yeah. like message um, that he had here. I think this is like one of the, the all time like sting segments I'm going to remember. It might have been Sting's final great promo of his career. It was incredibly powerful and chilling in delivery, a type of delivery that I, I've just never heard from Sting before. Even like when I so when he was the crow, he wasn't really talking a whole lot. But like, you know, for the most part of his career, it was sort of like shouting, like even like towards this, the end of this AEW run, he got into like a very sort of shouty, you know, classic Sting type of mode. This was this was like, you know, a man who clearly um, has been going through grief and uh, has somehow, um, I, I think, mustered up the courage to try to bottle those emotions into a professional wrestling artistic, you know, piece of um, storytelling here. And I just, uh, man, I, I my condolences, first of all, to, to him and his family. Um, but, at, uh, you know, kudos for being able to channel whatever he's been going through into i mean you know the final match of his career this was really incredible this is gonna add like that much more i think just emotion to this match at Mm -hmm. revolution that you've got this guy um you know um that's you know ending his career i mean it's what it made me uh think of as well was the story that came out just because these two do have a weird kind of link in their careers with, with sting and the undertaker. And you remember like right before the boneyard match that the undertaker's father passed away and he had to go do that match right after learning of his father's passing. And that, and that ends up being his, his last match as well. And it just made me think of that here. Like here is someone that is going to, you know, this awful personal tragedy and, you know, just applying it to this, this final match of his and tying it into like our own mortality and stuff. I just, I thought that the way that they handled this was like really effective and, and well done and really like just a uh, heart wrenching at the, at the same time to, to watch it of this, this character that has always had like a certain level of energy and excitement, but I don't know ever is like dialed in like this level of emotion behind his words before, mm-hmm. because this was real to him. Mm-hmm. The Bang Bang Scissor Gang are reflecting for this was from last Friday. Billy apologized for knocking Jay White off the apron. He suggests being the collision cowboy uh, and Jay is going to team with Colton and Billy as the collision cowboys, keeping Austin out of it. So, OK, mark, mark that down. Um, yeah, a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, it kind of, this couldn't have been maybe worse placed in, in the body of the show because it just felt so insignificant coming off of the sting thing. There was an, a video for Will Ospreay with, with Elevated underneath it and uh, just listed for All In and will be in Dynamite, at Dynamite next Wednesday in Huntsville, Alabama. 
So my 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 um sorry correction because it actually actually didn't follow the Osprey uh sorry the uh, the Sting thing it followed the Wardlow thing which was also another big oh I skipped over this yes before that was the Wardlow promo he comes out and talks about how he was going to be the next big thing but the rocket that was strapped to my back was obviously turned upside down I got screwed over and over I haven't even been given a title shot. And the people in the back should be fired and thrown in jail for that. Mm-hmm. So again, this is not Tony Khan's fault. This is the Young Bucks that you can. Uh, they are people in the back, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says that the so-called best in the world was beaten around by me. He still hasn't recovered from the beating I gave him. Mm-hmm. And, and a reminder: he did not beat CM Punk, but he gave him like five or six. He power took marks. like ninety-eight percent of the match, and yeah. then gets beaten in the last uh, right at the end of it. Um, so in in AEW history, that's a win. Sure. Yeah. Then he refers to MJF squashing him like an insect. Another match that everyone's forgotten about. And then he talks about Samoa Joe, who he choked out and beat him too, and adds that shiny titles and custom suits look better on me anyway. And says, it sounds like I'm the best in the world. I'm better than you, and you know it. And I'm the most dangerous man in the room. I'm the uncrowned king of AEW, so I'm going to start eating like one. Because I'm starving, and I'm done being fed scraps. Look at me! He's everything a world champion is supposed to be. No one can stop him. This is no longer wrestling. It's war. I will promise you, this guy worked on this promo nonstop for the last week uh and he's and it shows I, this was the the promo of this man's career it showcased the type of ability that i didn't really think he had i mean we've seen him deliver promos like in these sort of pre-recorded settings but never in a live setting with this sort of like clarity and just uh smoothness and passion and um it could be the thing that might unlock him you know is finally you know to ascend to the next level um like let's just remember a couple of weeks ago things weren't looking too good for this guy you know they're, they're, he might have been taken out again due to that knee injury and perhaps that you know we could assume might have been a wake-up call for him to finally make the most of this push because he felt very serious here felt like he was trying to you know take every ounce of um screen time uh for all it was worth because you don't know when you're gonna get your next chance they should be thrown in jail for not giving me a title match. Well, in in Wardlow's world, maybe the laws are different. No, it was it was a really good promo for him. He needed something like this, and and again, it's always it's always the follow up with, with, with this guy. Like he, you know, he's I think he's just been a, a victim of like just up and down, and you've seen like an audience just kind of detach themselves from him. But so he's clearly targeting Joe, and um. I mean, because he's not going to be facing CM Punk or MJF. Or that that we know of. I mean, Although that's... MJF is an interesting question. When do you think he returns? Um, well, whenever he does come back, I mean, it should like Wardlow should be somewhere like in the way before he gets to Adam Cole. Could it be revolution? Revolution that MJF comes back at? Yeah, um, I guess we don't know the extent of like whatever injury he might be. If he has injuries or. I'll tell you, if it's Undisputed Kingdom, they want that guy back yesterday because they are directionless as long as he's out. Uh, Then we had the other segments we mentioned, and they mentioned that Wardlow has been added to something at Revolution called Meet Madness. Sounds like it's going to be all the big dudes in the ring together. Uh, We know Wardlow. Sounds like a a Pizza Hut promotion. Oh, is it? Oh, it's, it's tied into that? 
No, I'm saying it sounds like it would be. Oh, I, th- I thought promotion. you meant that they did have a sponsorship <laughs> for this. Okay. Um, yes. So Wardlow and Hobbs will be in this and probably every other guy that you can think of that qualifies for this, probably like your Keith Lee's and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Renee's with the Don Callis family. Don says that Osprey and Takeshita are the best wrestlers in the world and they'll still be in the Don Callis family after this match. So they win. This is where he mentions Hobbs in meat madness and then refers to Sammy Guevara. You little cuck. And they're going to have a score to settle on Rampage Friday night. Why is he a cuck? Tune in on Friday. All the answers will be hmm. revealed. Okay. And Rampage will have, uh, we'll hear from Sammy Guevara, Roderick Strong against Jake Hager, Anna Jay against Mariah May. The Young Bucks will be in action. And then a three-way tag match, or three-way trios match with Action Andretti and Top Flight against Penta, Commander, and Brian Keith, and Private Party, and Matt Seidel. Main event time, it is Samoa Joe, Swerve, and Brian Cage against Hook, Hangman Page, and Rob Van Dam with the warning that will probably have an overrun. So don't don't get too worried if uh, anyone has some momentum in these first uh, 15 minutes of the match. I, I think they're, they're going to push <laughs> forward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had Joe and Hook squaring off early on. Then RVD was in with Swerve. Eventually, we get a face-to-face with Hangman and Swerve. And this was interesting to watch because Hangman worked this match like a baby face for most of it, but yeah. then he would be constantly distracted by swerve that it would take his focus away because he's just, he's so consumed with his hatred for swerve. But that alone is not much of a heel trade. If anything, it, it kind of makes you want to cheer for him more. Doesn't it? Like, well, he, he was the unreliable tag partner as well as he had the match, but that's because he hates this guy so much and wants to beat this guy. Like, it's not exactly, I think, I guess I, I just had, um, I never felt like Paige was that much of a heel in the body of the match itself beyond like him getting pissed off that um, Hook didn't hot tag him. But I whatever, like it, it, it almost doesn't matter as long as they all hate each other. So at uh, we have uh, Hook comes in. He he is with, with Joe for, for uh, a bit here. Then we have uh, Paige coming up and Cage is set up for the buckshot, but this is when he sees Swerve on the floor. So he goes to climb up for the Orihara moonsault, but this gives Cage enough time to go grab him. Hook comes in, German suplexing uh, Cage off the turnbuckle, and in turn, Cage superplexes Hangman. So they do like your Tower of Doom spot. There's a red rum applied to Cage, but then Joe is tagged in. The red rum is then applied to Swerve, but he throws Hook off his back. House called a hook. And then a buckshot with Swerve ducking it, and it hits Brian Cage. So we get the stare down between Joe, Hangman, and Swerve in the ring, previewing the pay-per-view. And Joe hits a tope suicida. Swerve misses Page, nailing Joe, his partner, with a kick. And with that, Hangman takes Swerve and power bombs him through the announcer's desk and yells, stay down. Joe ducks a buckshot. There's a muscle buster attempt. Page avoids. RVD is in. And then Hook uses a Northern Lights onto Joe, followed by the five-star frog splash, but is shoved off the top by Cage. And it ends with Joe getting the coquina clutch, and Rob Van Dam goes out. Didn't get the three arms for RVD. He was just like, oh, no, this this is too dangerous of a choke. We just got to get him out of this. I mean, we, you only had so many minutes in the overrun, I suppose. Um, really good trios match here, you know. Um, I great 
action, very good job of putting the focus still on the rivalry between the title match participants. I found the booking kind of, you know, interesting to even get into the match because you're talking about Hangman Page, who is very much like turning towards being a heel, teed with two other baby faces. While you have Swerve, who's very much turning into a baby face, still on the heel side. And I, while I think like the earlier sort of um, interview segment reflected that current transition, I don't think the match itself did much. Um, for it so i think it's all in the follow-up i'm I'm assuming it's going to be page blaming rvd again for losing on behalf of his team um just something to maybe you know turn up the heel heat a, a little bit more or maybe they're just gonna head like this towards the pay-per-view and just kind of let the match do the storytelling but um i thought it was man i thought hook took a beating in this one you know they book him like such a big guy that it's easy to forget that he's actually like a pretty small dude and he was just kind of getting thrown around by these like super heavy these meat meat men meaty men and um you know took a hell of a beating in this match yeah there was one uh hot tag that rvd did and man he was just going all over the place here with like a slingshot leg drop into the rolling thunder and man the crowd just went nuts when he was just on this like super hot tag sequence as well so i thought you know he had his moments in in this match as well and he's in a great position like you you see him once every month or even two months and he feels so special he can lose it doesn't matter they've already announced him for the the 420 collision so it's like you know, if this guy's willing to come in and he doesn't have a big head about losing and stuff, it's like they'll they'll use this guy. He's yeah. always going to get a pop. They've got his music that's always going to get over. And mm-hmm. and the guy for he's, like, he's what, great. Two, it's like he's you great. know he's still working like a Rob Van Dam style that the audience is is into. Like it's it's mm-hmm. not you know two thousand RVD, but you know two thousand twenty four RVD. I don't know if too many people expected him to be you know still out in a singlet in this many years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was dynamite. I will say that going into this show, like I was really expecting today that they were going to make some like wild match announcement because like the on paper announcement for tonight's dynamite, like it was, you know, your, your interest may vary on like Rob Van Dam and this, this main event, but um, you know, you did have the tag match, but it felt like just on paper, this was not uh, a dynamite that just jumped off the the page at you. Uh, pardon the pun, but one that I think the, The trios match was really entertaining. The time limit match was excellent. Um, I got the idea of like what they were trying to get across with the women's matches, but man, the Deanna Madison thing was just a a total, total Mm -hmm. mess. Um, uh, That, that would have been your, your low point of the show. But um, in addition to that, I mean, again, this, the pay-per-view I think is being built really well. And tonight was no exception to that. Yeah, I think so. I think the main event is in really good shape here. Um, I think they did a good job with the um, time limit draw for for FTR versus Claudio and and Mox to um, drive enough attention to that rematch. Uh, We also have, of course, Sting, who cut perhaps the best promo he's cut in years. Uh, That was, you know, worth a lot. Whatever's going on with Wardlow is is interesting, too. I mean, he's going to only be in the buy-in, it sounds like, with with this uh, meat madness. And uh, but still, like he he had a segment that elevated his status, in my opinion, just a little bit. Um, so all in all, productive show, but you're maybe not the most attractive on paper. You know, they have a lot to build towards. They have revolution you know, primarily to focus on. Big business, I think, is something that's also um, interesting to see how much push they they, they give it as well. Because um, what is it at right now? Six thousand. 
right around that yeah it's it's in that in the, it's in that neighborhood which is it's like it's good but it's not as though they like you know cleared out the building to to begin with like it's it's good and like you would you would hope that they can they can get up to like closer to eight like once mm-hmm. things heat up yeah and, and maybe focus for that will obviously come after revolution and who might debut at revolution um that you could then announce for for a match for instance for big business maybe it's something that like the, the timing for it like obviously that it's it's the big mercedes show but mm-hmm. if you're saving christian and adam copeland for a show like that timing wise could work out well and it would make sense that you want to do that match on television and you can get this daniel garcia match on the pay-per-view and you know timing wise that makes sense to have copeland come back for a big show like that and let's not forget you now have a uh, will osprey that, at your disposal for a match and dude, this you- roster like i was just looking at it today like when everyone we're throwing out like the injuries like you don't have an mjf you don't have a kenny omega it's like if they ever get to near a hundred percent of like what the roster is this is one of the most incredible rosters that has ever been assembled it's yeah it's a ridiculous amount of talent that they have. Like you, you, it sounds silly to say too much, but you know, we do see how difficult it is to juggle all these different um, acts and, and give the requisite time to like, Mm -hmm. there will inevitably be some major stars this year that people are going to feel are undervalued in AEW because you do have to make decisions. You cannot push everyone. You cannot get everyone. Like there needs to be rotations and they're the ones that will get your weekly focus on and there's only going to be so many of of those spots but from a depth perspective like this is going to be incredible what they have at their disposal this year and beyond yeah yeah at the point now where even if like people um for whatever reason are injured you still have so much to rely on but i mean i think the the big x factor is whether or not they can make all of these people that are coming in feel like they're big deals because it's very easy to have a lot of hype attached to somebody but once you they just kind of fall into place and don't feel special after several months um then they're no longer any difference maker um so I, I mean, I hope creatively, you know, to me, like the most exciting hire that they have is Jen Pepperman, you know, potentially because it, it, it might call towards a bigger change just even philosophically for the company. So I uh, I look forward to seeing how that might un- unravel. Is she going to be paired with the Young Bucks on screen? Um, I, I don't know. I hope to not see her on screen. No. So the card for Revolution, the updated card, is Sting and Darby against the Young Bucks in a tornado match. Orange Cassidy and Roderick Strong for the international title. Joe, Hangman, and Swerve for the AEW title. Tony Storm versus Deanna Perrazzo for the women's title. Eddie Kingston against Brian Danielson for the Continental Crown. Will Ospreay against Konosuke Takeshita. And now adding Christian Cage and Daniel Garcia for the TNT title. And whatever meat madness uh, turns out to be. Do we know that will be a wrestling match? Well, what else could it be? It could the be eating like, contest. You know, all you can eat. Um, I mean, I would be kind of. This curious. was another company. I would, I would question it, but I, I don't think. Yeah, what is this NXT? Um, you know the the game show years. Oh, Eli <laughs> Cottonwood comes in. Yes, yes. Okay. Milk madness. Maybe Sean Stasiak gets uh gets the call from Tony <laughs> Khan. Tony Khan would do something like that and put Sean Stasiak in Meat Madness. If there's ever a time for a Sean Stasiak return, yes, it would be the Meat Madness match. Okay. That uh, like I only say that half jokingly. Throw it out into the universe. Yes. It's out. Okay, let's go on to uh your super chats and a few pieces of feedback that we have. Uh we have a super chat here actually from 
plethora who says uh thank you for the super chat first of all plethora he says do you think tko will get a boxing group to join the wwe or ufc before the end of 2024 i i think you're going to see the extent of things that they're you know they they air boxing on fight pass and you know you have like the the association dana white has with callum walsh who you saw identified in the crowd at, at raw um you know, the, the boxing idea, like Zufa boxing, it's been this kind of pipe dream that they've been talking about, God, for close to a decade. I just think that there's so much that they, um, it's such a tricky business to get involved with. And it, and it comes with a lot of the, you know, the things that you have to abide by, like the Ali Act, which is like the very thing they don't want in MMA. So I, which I, is what? I mean, the Ali Act, I mean, it, it essentially, it, it, it outlines like a lot of the fact that you need to have like like sanctioning bodies for for your championships that you know your your fighters have various protections that are not ex- that are not mm-hmm. um uh, afforded to mixed martial arts fighters and specific to ufc it's just it, it it's a lot more costly to get into boxing than it is for mma where you own so much of the of the market space so mm-hmm. and I'm, what does that do for um fighter pay the, the topic of fighter pay if um if if they enter the world of boxing versus MMA. Well you have boxers that I mean they can they can shop their the they can shop their their services around to different promoters. Like you have like boxers command a lot more leverage because of this, because of the Ali Act and that you can go to different promoters and you're not just all under the thumb of one promoter and signing your rights away in perpetuity. Um there's and would just, TKO want to invite that? Well, I mean, you have had like Nick Khan state as much that you know that would be really like I'm sure it's on their like it's on their whiteboard in the office of like some dream that they have. Like you name your company TKO, I'm sure it's encompassing all combat sports and boxing. It makes logical sense. I just don't know if it's going to be something that they're going to race into. They're facing a lot of stuff this year. Like we we're speaking a lot about obviously like the pro wrestling side of things, but the UFC it's like that antitrust trial is set to start uh, the week after UFC 300. And, and then you still have um, the Cajun Johnson case, which is sort of on, on deck after this initial one. Like it's, it's basically two lawsuits that they are facing and the outcome of which could be very, very, you know, transformative for their business uh, as well. So I will say no to to like this year, but I, I I won't dismiss the idea of them eventually getting into boxing. I'm sure it's something that they're going to continue to kick the tires on when it makes sense for them. Thank you for that super chat. Let's go up next to uh, forum.postwrestling.com, where those of you who are cafe patrons can leave feedback after every one of these shows. We start off with Benjamin. I'm hoping the incoming creative can bring more cohesion to AEW's creative and that Madison Rain is okay. The Undisputed Kingdom, despite the good matches with Orange Cassidy, are like a dad rock band. How y'all, how are y'all doing? Y'all ready for okay. I I, I don't know what he's asking here. He's asking about the uh, the Special Olympics National Winter Games in Calgary from February 27th to March. I um I was not aware of that. Um, but they're going down in Calgary, according to Benjamin. Cool. We're not aware of everything that goes on in Canada. Um, just so I, I guess people are aware. I'm barely. It is. It is a 20 minute drive from coast to <laughs> Calgary, coast. Like yeah. We we could be a bit better at knowing everything that's going on up here. All right. But um, let's go. He did provide a, a link if you want to uh, get all caught up to date here. But um. Okay. Thanks. Cool. 
Sweet. Um, do you, do you think the, the Undisputed Kingdom are, are like a dad rock band? Um, I haven't thought of dad rock, but I have thought of just, um, uninteresting. Uh, yeah. Like they, the timing, you know, they had to, um, do it because of, of MJF exiting, but man, they just had no real good follow-up for them during this entire cycle. I mean, announcing Roderick Strong facing Orange Cassidy so far in advance, would at least mm, like their story is that um the the undisputed kingdom have taken out all of the all of the best friends. I guess it just has not felt nearly menacing enough for a group that at one point was targeting mysteriously, you know, this uh, MJF and and just had a lot more attention than I think they command right now, which is not that much. And I don't even look at the MJF absence as like this this crutch that you can lean on like this group like they should be wreaking havoc and building up all this heat and just running through people so that when mjf shows up it's like here is the savior to combat this group that is destroying everyone they're not building up anything like that it's like adam cole feels as though he's just uh like he's just like heel manager um and the promos haven't really been that great either no like MJF returning is going to get a pop, of course, but are people just like at the edge of their seat for somebody to come and shut down the undisputed kingdom? Like th- to me, they they haven't done any of, of that to build things up in in his absence either. So it just it, it to me has has felt like a flat group at, at this point up until Wardlow's promo tonight. Like it was like it was like one of the yeah. more impressive things that the groups had in this this short history that they've had. Let's go to Jordan from the Bronx, who says Wardlow's promo feels one year too late. He has lost the connection to the crowd. A promo referencing Punk one week after the promo reference Cody Rhodes just seems so odd. I, I disagree here because last week, I mean, it led to like you were praising like Cody and getting this chant throughout the whole building. And it's like you, the viewer, are like, OK, the big star here is Cody that is on the other show. This was the guy positioning himself above the guy that it has left and gone over. So I saw these as very different um, from last week to this week. I did too. Uh, Jordan has a question. Have you heard O'Shea Jackson Jr.'s comments about AEW not using video packages to introduce outsider talent? What are your thoughts on this? I personally don't agree that every single outsider needs a primer to raise interest. Guys like Heel Del Vikingo and Hechicero were able to impress in the ring and raise their own profile. I have not heard his comments, but I'm, you know, it's, um, it, I have, it, okay. yeah. Uh, so, so it was on Chris Van Van Fleet's show. I think we actually have a clip of it on our um, uh, Instagram as well. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, but you, 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 you know what he said, or, or you know? I, just from this this recap here. Um, I so guess he was asked, I guess, uh, about like some of his activity on on Twitter because he's a very vocal wrestling fan and a very vocal um, critic of AEW. Uh, this is uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., um, son of Ice Cube. And uh, his answer to Chris Van Fleet felt far more reasonable than I think some of the tweets I've seen him make, Um, as is usually the case when you're talking talking about (laughs) as is usually the case when you're talking to somebody versus, you know, getting their online sort of like 250 character sort of versions of themselves. I don't disagree with largely what he's saying now. um, I think his point was basically. if he's a fan and says he doesn't know somebody, but he's a wrestling fan and is in, interested in AEW, he he feels that um, people shouldn't be 
jumping at him for not knowing who somebody is. Now, whether or not he expressed that sentiment that like that in his online tweeting, I can't I can't say or not. But that clip alone of him saying that I don't disagree with. I, I think, yes, like guys like Vikingo, guys like Hechicero alone are enough to impress somebody once you're through the door. But I think a goal of a mainstream professional wrestling company should be to try to get as many people through the door as possible. And I think there's a really good balance where you could bring in like outsiders who have names, you know, in other places while doing at least um, more putting more effort into telling a bigger audience why they might be so special so that they might even be interested to give them a chance. Um even that alone might might have said a lot of people what I just said, but I I didn't take that much offense to to, to at least that that uh, that clip. Let's go on to uh, Anthony here. That Sting promo is one of the one of his best promos, which is a little morbid with the announcement of his father who passed away a week ago. But that real raw emotion displayed is what was lacking in this feud for me. I'm still not that into the heel bucks, but if this makes more fans who want to tune in to see the legendary aging hero attempt to conquer one last set of villains, one last battle before he rides off to the sunset, so be it. Prayers up to the Borden family. We go up next to uh, Andrew from Cape Breton. So I've always been a fan of the rankings, and this will show my nerdiness for the rankings. After Double or Nothing 2022, Wardlow was the number one contender for the world title after Dynamite. That Dynamite featured the most infamous match in AEW history, with Max Caster and the Guns versus CM Punk and FTR, where Punk broke his foot. And we all know the end of that story. Logically speaking, based on the rankings, Wardlow should have been one of the challengers for the title, but the rankings were changed to Moxley when they came out next thus it being Moxley versus the Battle Royal winner Kyle O'Reilly for the interim title. I feel this was the worst thing that happened to Wardlow, as even if he wasn't ready, they should have given him the title. Sometimes you just have to smash a guy over. I'm not sure how it would have worked out, but the past few years have been a mess for the guy. Tonight's promo showed he has potential, but I don't think he's currently better than Hangman or Joe are as heels or Swerve can be as a babyface. It feels like it's such a lost opportunity and there might not be anywhere else for him to go in AEW. Uh, do you agree, John? So I remember that when Punk injured his foot and they did that tournament and you had like so many of the people that were like not involved in this. And that's been something of like a bunch of these AEW tournaments is like some of the obvious like top people are omitted from these, whether they're battle Royals or for tournaments. And I'm pretty sure we talked about this at the time. Like why is Wardlow not involved in this? I want to say it was a tournament that they did in order to first, they had Moxley win this. I, I can't remember how it went, but th- this ultimately led to um, crowning mm-hmm. their interim champion uh, as it went. And yeah, it was like a natural question. Why is Wardlow uh, not involved in this? Uh, Was he injured at the time? No, he was TNT champion. So I guess they didn't want to put the TNT champion into a a title for a vacant belt. I mean, that's the real answer. A a storyline answer, like Wardlow would have enough reason to maybe use that as... I'm pretty sure they did a promo even, and Wardlow did address it. Like he... I want to say he did, he said something like he wants to f- wait to face the real champion or something like that. Oh, like I'm I'm okay. pretty sure he mentioned they did have some cover reason. It wasn't a good cover reason, but it was. I'm doing this off the top of my head from nearly two years ago, but I seem to see how that went. But it was it was frustrating at the time. I'm not even uh, defending like it was a it was a good idea. I thought that that when Punk broke his foot, like that next month 
granted forbidden door was an awesome show that they had at the end but that month i thought where they had to so clearly scramble with punk out i thought it was a mess of booking in AEW that month i just thought it was so disorganized and felt like they were literally going by the seat of their pants because punk caused such an effect on where things were going um Hmm. And, you know, and it, it was probably like a big uh, jolt to them, like losing punk and whatever plans that they had. Um, and then you you got to that pay-per-view. And that was one where it goes back to the other question here about a lot of talents that were on television and people were complaining about who knows who and not. And you did get to that pay-per-view and the pay-per-view did do well. And it was a great pay-per-view. But that was, you know, a common complaint at that time. There's a great like portion of the audience that I think is already familiar with, with these talents or, or simply like interested enough to want to pay for it. Could it be a bigger audience is I think all I'm trying to ask. I'm not saying that's what O'Shea Jackson Jr. is saying, but I also don't think we should be completely shutting down the idea that this show could do a better job of introducing its product to a different audience. I want to know what Ice Cube thinks about this. Um, could tweet at him. We go on next to uh, the last one here. Cody from Maine. First and foremost, fingers crossed that Madison Rain is okay. Yes. As far as the rest of the show goes, I thought the in-ring was fairly typical for Dynamite. While a lot of what didn't take place during a match really shine. From something as simple as highlighting Orange Cassidy's last few weeks to a Wardlow promo that I desperately wish he cut over a year ago. We needed to gear that from Wardlow. We needed to hear that from Wardlow rather than hearing about what he had been reading on the internet. Although I do think he's regaining momentum and that meat madness could be great for him. I've seen AEW and WWE fans alike call for a super heavyweight division, and it seems like AEW is leaning into it. Difficult topic aside, I thought Daniel Garcia and Sting were two of the highlights for me. Both characters, both men channeled their similar emotions in different ways, but were equally impactful. I was hoping to see Cage and Copeland at the pay-per-view, but I'm totally sold and on Garcia getting that spot. I thought it was a very effective segment with Daniel Garcia. Like before Christian even got out there, like that kind of, uh, zeroed in like an issue here that they're going to have for the program but it to me it would feel muddled to throw copeland in there i would much rather see them just go this direction with christian and and garcia at the pay-per-view yeah at this point i agree too do you think wrestling needs a super heavyweight division um meat matches really are like you know like a thing from the past year that has like sort of like caught on I don't know if it needs a like a championship or anything like that to no, recognize. No, what you need is a gold chain with a raw stake in it, um, and that uh-huh. that is what you carry around. Okay, yep. interesting. Yeah, what if you're a salmonella a, championship? Could you be a super heavyweight but be a vegetarian? Is um, that possible? No, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's possible. Come on, no, you can't. Um, so yeah, like I, Daniel Bryan is not going to be a part of this division. Right. I think it, it like to, to maybe recognize it as like an exclusive division. I almost wonder if it's if it would take away from like your actual championship. You know, this is not like the UFC where like you, you know, the world championship is like a light heavyweight like limit or anything. The world champion. Like if these guys can beat the, the other biggest guys, well, why can't they beat the like, why can't they be champions themselves? Well, some of the smaller guys are more elusive. Faster. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. I think people will be interested in this, um, this concept. The meat madness. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay. Well, thanks, folks, for the feedback. And thank you for listening. That's going to wrap things up. 
uh, if you'd like to go back, we had uh, Jesse Collings on Pollock and Thurston today. We did kind of a catch up on the, like the past week of going through the, the various scandals, different comments that have come out from um, the latest um, uh, interview that Ashley Banfield did with Paul Roma, the former WWF ring boy that was on with Lee Cole, um, going through a lot of these and then uh, chatting with uh, Jesse. So it was a really, really good show on today's uh, edition, as was the wellness policy on Tuesday with Way, Jordan and Neil chatting about why they love professional wrestling did you come to an answer for ourselves you know and maybe some of you who decided to listen might have um come to us um some related um feeling attached to it um but if you didn't let us know so yeah uh that was a really fun show to do and i think we talked a lot about um the positivity in pro wrestling which is you know was a was a nice contrast to maybe some of the other discussion that's been going on okay I think that your next topic should be why why you love Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, stay tuned for that one. Yep. Okay, I, w- I won't hold my breath. Uh, check out those Thursday. We're back. Postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 gets you into the door for all of our bonus shows and six years of archives, including the latest and greatest from Rewind Away as we go to review WrestleMania 24, headlined by Edge, The Undertaker, and Jimmy Corderas, who will join us on the show. So we will be chatting all about that Thursday. And then No Show Friday, we'll be back speaking with you Saturday, noon Eastern time with our review of Elimination Chamber. So that is it for us. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Go on over, chop-tease.com slash post-wrestling and go grab that hoodie 20% off.